Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's back. Hello and welcome to The Hill. We are following two major breaking news events this afternoon, one halfway across the world, the other right down the street here from our studio. You are looking live right now at Capitol Hill, where Republican lawmakers are one step closer to getting a new House speaker. But at this hour, there is still no speaker of the House. And of course, we continue to follow the ongoings in the Middle East, the war between Israel and Hamas raging on. So what are we doing at this very moment to get Americans out? We press the White House on that very question. The Hill on News Nation starts right now. Hello, and thanks for being here once again on The Hill, a busy and consequential day yet again. I'm Blake Berman, joined today by a great panel. Chris Steyerwalt is News Nation's political editor and a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Mary Catherine Hamm is the host of the Getting Hammered podcast. Mick Mulvaney is the former Trump White House chief of staff and News Nation political and economic contributor. And Johanna Mosca, former uh, Obama administration official and News Nation contributor. Hello to you all. Nice to have you here. We just heard uh, from President Biden moments ago. I thought it was a pretty powerful 10 to 15 minutes that we just heard from the president. There have, of course, been lots of questions about the hostages, right? We don't know the exact number at this hour. We know uh, more than 20 Americans are dead, but we heard from the president uh, on that very topic. Here he was just moments ago. If I told you I wouldn't be able to get them home, folks, there's a lot we're doing, a lot we're doing. I have not given up hope of bringing these folks home. But the idea that I'm going to stand here before you and tell you what I'm doing is bizarre. Johanna, um, I'm, I'm guessing there's really not much more he can no, say No, there's not much that. more he can say. This is a sensitive, ongoing military intervention. And you've got, they've already said that you're going to see American planes flying in. Americans are helping in this recovery effort. We don't know the extent, and we probably won't know until after it's done. Uh, it's an extraordinarily hectic time right now in the White House. I'm surprised he actually had the time to come out and speak and yeah. respect mm. the fact that he did. He did quite well, I thought. Um, but that's exactly what he has to say. And it's the right thing to say. You have to, there's going to be a tremendous amount of pressure on him to try and satisfy the families of these American citizens that they're doing something. But all you can really say is, trust us, we're doing something. Because as soon as he gives away any details, it actually makes it you harder didn't deal to with, get folks on. You didn't deal with exactly this, obviously, but you know as a former chief of staff, it's interesting to, to hear you say incredibly hectic. Like, what, like, what is it like right now there inside it's, the West Wing? It's 24 hours a day, probably. It should be. If it's not, there'll be teams coming in at different times during the day. Um, I, I feel for Blinken, he's probably not sleeping three or four hours a, a night. Um, this should be uh, an all-of-government approach. You probably should have had a cabinet meeting by now to say, look, I don't care if you work for the Department of Education find a way to help us with this. It's an all-of-government approach, and that you're starting to see some of the results of that. 
Yeah, I appreciate the president's moral clarity uh, in the two speeches thus far. Uh, I think he's been very clear about supporting Israel and saying all the right full-throated things. And I agree, he cannot get into detail about these American uh, American uh, hostages. However, he is a little bit, is it like the antique Corvette that he has, where it just takes a little while for the engine to get running, and then once it's running, I'm a little unsure how long it's going to stay running, and that tone and the delivery, and I don't want to be shallow about it, but it does not give me a ton of confidence in the way that I would like to see. And the problem is with the American hostages, there's a record of failure on this front, leaving folks in Afghanistan. So speaking to people's concerns about it needs to be very forceful. And that needs to, the work needs to be forceful. Chris? Yeah, the the word has to go out in the world ever and always that taking a United States citizen hostage is a grievous error. Uh, And the United States has to deliver uh, a rescue and uh, swift retribution, swift justice for this. I'm thinking a great deal of what Ronald Reagan did uh, after the Marine barracks was bombed in Lebanon uh, 40, 50 years ago. Uh, and the response was a, 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 a savage response against uh, the Syrians who had plotted this, and they pulled, I think it was the USS Iowa, off the coast of Lebanon and shelled the Becca Valley uh, with one shell for every American that was killed. The message has to go out to the world, and, and I think to Mary Catherine's point, what the American people want to hear from their president at this point is, we have total resolve, we have absolute commitment, we will, it, we will rescue everyone that we can't, and God help the people who uh, perpetrated this crime. But he's not going to be able to rescue everybody, and he knows it. And that's the really hard part of what he's doing is he cannot raise these expectations because many of these folks are going to die, and he knows it, and he doesn't want to say it. They can't say it to them. It's not the right time. It's not the right place. He's not the right person. It's a really difficult job. And and then there's the decision of putting, sending U.S. special forces in, Mm -hmm. right? And and the commander-in-chief, I would think— at some point in time, is either going to have to give a thumbs up or a thumbs down to that possibility, right? Well, they've already said that they've got American planes headed over and that they're involved in it. So to the extent that we're not going to know until it's already over, we we won't know and we may not know who was actually there. All right. But there will be things, to your point, there will be things that the President of the United States has to approve. Yep. That falls squarely on his shoulders. Yes. Huge decisions to come in the days, weeks, and months ahead. All right. Meantime, of course, it's, it's day five of the war between Israel and Hamas, and the fighting is escalating. Israeli forces continue to pound Gaza with airstrikes. Air raid sirens sounding uh, in the northern part of the country today sent local residents to bomb shelters, only to hear from local officials that was a false alarm. Robert Sherman is live for us once again in Tel Aviv. Robert, I I wonder sort of what the sense was like earlier today, the the jitters there on the ground when, when all of that was happening. And I think an important piece of context here, Blake, is, is, is that uh, if you live in Israel, there's actually an app on your phone which will tell you uh, when a missile has been fired and uh, where it's going. I mean, it's amazing you know, that this is where technology is today. But our phones were going off all day long. So even us here in Tel Aviv, we were wondering what is going on at the northern border. And it seems as though that hearing from the Israeli Air Force, uh, that was uh, ended up not being an incursion or anything of the kind. I would tell you this, though, Blake, is, is that there's just this real jittery sense on the ground here as is that the next couple of days are going to be defining the future of Israel as a sovereign state. You have people here who are starting to see these images that are coming out of southern Israel showing all the carnage and people believe that action needs to be taken or this will happen again and they say they cannot allow it to happen again. So it stands to reason that we're anticipated we're going to see 
a heightening of an escalation in the coming days. A lot of people on the ground anticipating that. But people really do believe here is, is that it is going to be critical and it's going to be a watershed moment here. Wow. All right. That's on the ground. And then there's uh, in the skies, obviously. There was this, uh, Robert, the British Airways flight that ended up heading toward Tel Aviv today and then had to, had to be diverted away. What, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so that took off from London Heathrow, was making its way to Tel Aviv, almost made it into Israeli airspace. But then you started to have missile strikes in the country, so the plane turned around and went back to London Heathrow. The significance of that, Blake, is, is that British Airways has now suspended their flights indefinitely to and from Tel Aviv, as have now several other airlines in the wake of that incident. That's significant because we're still meeting all these Americans here who can't get out of the yeah. country. There aren't enough of commercial flights. Many are being canceled. We're they don't know how they're going to get home, but they recognize they need to yeah. do it sooner than later. And, and Robert, we, we're going to talk to head on over to the White House momentarily. John Kirby, uh, who, of course, is a spokesperson for the National Security Council, I, I, we're asking him several questions about what is the administration doing at this hour to help those individuals. That's coming up here. Robert, uh, thanks again. Stay safe. We'll catch you tomorrow. Appreciate it. All right. Meantime, uh, administration officials within the Biden administration invited all members of the House today to a classified briefing this morning on the war. Now, some Democrats have been criticized for not being more forceful in condemning Hamas's attack on Israel. But the Democratic Congressman Gregory Meeks from New York disagrees with some of that criticism. I don't think that there's not one member has not acknowledged the criminal acts and the inhumane actions of Hamas. Joining me now is a Democratic Congresswoman from the state of North Carolina, Kathy Manning. Congresswoman, thanks for being here on the Hill. You were standing next to your colleague uh, when that happened, and there was some chatter on, on social media when that was going about as to whether or not you might have been shaking your head. Uh, do, do you agree with what he said there? I agree that every member of our Democratic caucus has called out the gruesome nature of what happened. And it's undeniable that what the Hamas terrorists did was barbaric, was unacceptable, and has to be condemned by everyone. I do believe our, co our colleagues have condemned that. We do have some diversity in our caucus. Diversity in your caucus. Here's Congresswoman Cori Bush, quote, as part of achieving a just and lasting peace, we must do our part to stop this violence and trauma by ending U.S. government support for Israeli military occupation and apartheid. That is certainly, I guess, diversity of thought would be one way to put it, but I think many would, would look at that comment and, and push back on it. What would you say to her? I could not, I could not disagree with her more strongly. I think she is wrong on that issue. And uh, and she knows my, that I disagree with her. OK, let me you. So there was this all house uh, member briefing uh, earlier today. Um, you got some some information from the Biden administration. What did you learn? What was sort of your takeaway? If you could talk to our audience at home right now and say, this is what I was told. What would you want to what would you want them to know? Well, we all know what the president said yesterday, which is that he he and the United States stand unequivocally shoulder to shoulder with Israel. 
that we are doing everything we can to support the state of Israel, and the things we learned this morning confirm that. We learned what efforts are being made to make sure that we uh, help provide Israel with what they need to win this war against this gruesome terrorist group. We learned that all efforts will be made to make sure that Americans are safe and to bring Americans back home. Congresswoman, there's obviously um, the issue of Iran and who's willing to draw a straight line to Iran and not. Coming out of that meeting today, here was uh, one of your colleagues on both the Democratic and Republican side, and I'll get your reaction on the other side of it. Iran has clearly been funneling funds to Hamas, Hezbollah, and uh, Islamic jihadist groups throughout Syria, Iraq, and and the broader Middle East and and North Africa. Uh, There is, I think, no uh, indications as of right now that Iranian leadership were uh, directly puppeteering this attack. But I do have confidence in the administration and their ability to uh, ensure that Americans who are in Israel who want to leave are going to be able to. We can't even we can't put you can't even put a resolution on the floor condemning what took place because we're that dysfunctional. That dysfunction has made the United States and the world less safe. Is Iran behind this as you see it, Congresswoman? There is no question that Iran is the global state sponsor of terrorism. There is no question that they have been training and funding terrorist groups like Hamas and Hezbollah and others for years and years. I I agree with Representative uh, Alkenkloss that we don't currently have evidence that Iran was behind this specific attack, but that may change in the future. All right. I have to leave it there. Congresswoman Manning uh, from North Carolina, thank you for being here on the Hill. Appreciate your time. Hope you come on back. Thanks very much. Thank you. Yep, you got it. Mick, you took exception to something there. I, I like what Mike said. This is not the time for, for placing blame. And what, 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 Mike is going, what Mike said, it's going to be interpreted as, we don't know if Iran had anything to do with this, but we're pretty sure the Re- Republican uh, speaker's fight did have something to do with this. That's just, that's outrageous. If I wanted to sit here and attack the Democrat administration, I could. We haven't done that for three or four days because it's not the right time to do it. There's all sorts of great questions to ask, but now is not the time. It's a wholly irresponsible station. Uh, Mick, some, some... Some on both sides, right, are taking this opportunity for politics. And it's terrible. They shouldn't. They should be standing together. And to that point, you know, we do know that Iran has been behind Hamas for a very long time. But my understanding, and we had Sir Richard Dearlove, who's the former chief of MI6, on a podcast we're releasing. And I was listening to it. He, no one knows yet. They're trying to get, you know, it could be that the Iranians were involved because they may not have the intelligence, the capabilities to mask their communications and everything, but they will figure it out. Our intelligence agencies, Mossad, are fantastic, right? That. I thought what Ashton Give them time. Said was, 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 was intelligent and reasonable. He said, look, we don't know. We have reason to believe it could be them. We'll look into it. I'm satisfied we'll be able to find this out. I thought that was a really good interview. Quigley saying we don't know if the Iranians were involved, but clearly the Republican leadership in the House was responsible for some of this. Well, That's just complete BS, and that's that's one of the reasons the town but is as broken as this. He's not the only chaos. person doing it. They are doing it on the other side. There have been folks who attacked the Biden administration politically, but it has to stop. I'm happy to do forbearance, both on the foreign intelligence that we have about Iran's involvement 
and on sort of bare knuckle politics. But I do think if we're discussing geopolitics and what has happened here and the fact that the world may change in very real ways, we should talk about the Biden administration policies and how they reflected on this and what what went into this as we get information. We should talk about the fact that I would like to have a functioning house while this is happening. And those are real concerns that are that are at issue. Both, both things can be true. Uh, and uh, Mary Catherine is exactly right. The uh, Democrats know that they have a serious exposure here, and this is a serious problem, that the timing of the money being released to go to the Iranians before this, it just looks, it looks a awful. A $6 billion deal. Yeah, it just, it just looks awful. And it also looks awful that the House Republican Conference is a bunch of chuckleheads that can't get their act together. And when, and you just do, flip the calendar around. Imagine if that vote were taken after this, I don't think it would have even happened because the House Republicans would have said, whoa, uh, the stakes are a little too high right now to indulge in uh, Matt Gates's cosplaying. So we're just not we're not going to do that. Uh, so there's plenty of blame to go around. What you can watch, as you observe, is people getting themselves ready to make the arguments afterward, right? They're squidging over to this place. They're squidging over to that place. And you can hear the subtext in each party and their officials as they get ready so that as soon as it is decent to say and start politicizing this, they'll be ready with their attacks and ready with their defense. All right. So we know at least 22 Americans are dead, uh, likely hostages uh, being held by Hamas and many more Americans who are trying to get out right now of Israel. But the U.S. government hasn't necessarily set up contracts right now, at least that we know of, to potentially get those Americans out. They want out. Families trying to get them out. How was that the case that it hasn't happened? It's the question we put to the White House coming up right after the break when The Hill on News Nation returns. Welcome back here to The Hill on News Nation. Among the many questions still at this hour, how to get Americans out of Israel who want to leave that country and do so, hopefully, safely. Just moments ago, I spoke to the National Security Council spokesperson, John Kirby, about that very question. John, thank you for being back here on The Hill on News Nation. Uh, you are incredibly busy, so appreciate the time. Uh, I want to start with the efforts to get Americans out of Israel right now. I think Senator Josh Hawley sort of summed it up what what many people are asking. Here's a a social media post he he put out. He said, quote, for the second time in two years, Americans are stranded in a war zone. What's the plan to get them out? How can you answer that question? Well, a couple of things here. First of all, uh, commercial flights are still going in and out of Ben Gurion Airport, so that's always an option for those who may want to leave. There are still some viable ground routes, uh, and we're exploring many other options as well uh, uh, to see if there's uh, other things that we could do to help Americans who want to leave. Um, there are many Americans who uh, live and work in Israel. Uh, for many of them, it's home, and uh, and they don't want to leave. Uh, so we are we are mindful though that, that there could be some uh, who using the commercial options or the ground route options are either yep. not feasible or affordable. And so we are actively exploring other options. I hear you uh, actively exploring and that there's commercial and, and ground options, John, but Fiji, Hungary, and South Korea have already used airlines to evacuate people out. Canada and Germany have announced evacuation flights in the coming days. So how is it that we are seemingly behind several countries on this front? 
I think I would take issue with you that we're behind anybody here. Uh, we have been exploring options and continue to do that. And I would just say stay tuned. I think we'll have more to say very soon about uh, what some of those options are going to look like. American United Delta, um, are, are you speaking with them about, you know, sort of contract work and, and getting people home? Yeah, again, I think just stay tuned, and I think you'll hear more very soon about uh, some of these options. Okay. Um, just to put a, a bow on this, for, for folks who are worried of, of their family at home and, and trying to get them out, I, I know you say stay tuned, but announcements in the upcoming day, in the upcoming hours, what's it like? I, look, I think within, uh, certainly before the end of the day, I think we'll have more to say about okay. some of these options. And, and, and to your other question, uh, which I didn't mean to dodge, yes, we're certainly talking to uh, the airlines as well uh, to see uh, what they can lay on and in what capacity. As you know, some of the domestic U.S. carriers have decided not to fly in and out of Ben Gurion, but many international carriers are. And, uh, and so we are working with the airlines. John, uh, on the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, obviously there's a, a pretty big story going on uh, in the House. Republicans still haven't figured out who the next Speaker of the House is going to be. When you sit back and look at what's going on uh, in the Middle East and inside Israel, it, at your perch from the National Security Council, is it a, a national security uh, risk not having a Speaker of the House right now? It's very important to have a Speaker of the House. I mean, my goodness, without a Speaker, you can't bring new legislation to the floor. And if you want to pursue additional funding for partners like Ukraine and Israel, well, you need legislative support for that. So, yes, it's incredibly important. We recognize that. Now, we have existing authorities and appropriations for both Ukraine and Israel that will get us through the near term. And you, you saw today we announced yet $200 million more uh, uh, in drawdown authority for Ukraine specifically. And, of course, the first tranche of U.S. military assistance arrived in, uh, in Tel Aviv today. So uh, in the near term, we can keep doing this. But in the long term, and as I said earlier today, we're starting to run out of runway here. In the long term, how long yeah, is that, we how absolutely long is that have to runway? have a Speaker of the House so that we can talk to them. Yeah, real quick, how long I, is that I would that be hard-pressed to give you a date certain. I'd be hard-pressed to give you a date certain since it depends on the expenditure of the munitions that are being provided. Got it. All right, John Kirby, we got to leave it there. I know you got to run. Uh, thank you for the time. Appreciate it. Thanks. Mick, you were aghast at the, at the top half of that interview. Yeah, he cleaned it up a little bit at the end. I mean, here's how it's supposed to happen, right? They're supposed to have contracts in place. There's supposed to be a plan on the shelf. This is not a surprise this happened. It's not the first time it's happened in history. It's unfortunate that it's happening, but there's a work plan. You just go, oh, we, we have to get our citizens out. Let's pull it off the shelf and do it. And we, got, we asked him the first time, have you talked to American Delta United? The answer has to be absolutely, and he sort of dodged it. He cleaned it up afterwards. But uh, I just don't get the feeling that they're executing properly. They seem to be blaming the airlines when really they should be they should be taking charge. But Mick, both of us were talking over the break because when we were watching this, it was you know the the price, all of these things. Now it's such a political uh, you know tense moment. Yes, we absolutely need to get people out. You know how much those charter flights cost to get all of these people out. There's going to be a burden that American taxpayers are paying. And when the Republicans have literally closed down no, shop in no, the House no. because of the budget. 
budget. Okay. I, I'm sorry, but like, if they not, spent massive amounts of money on a bunch of charter flights to get all the I mean, Americans out, we have money. putting a price tag on charter flights, though, in this scenario. That's what I'm saying. Isn't that the problem with politics right now? I guarantee you they're behind the scenes negotiating and that they're going to get charter flights out of there. If they don't, then all of us would be no, surprised. Stop. That's, that's, what, that's what should be happening. That's, it, now is not the time for the negotiation. The negotiation should have taken place six months, two years, five years ago. It's supposed to be just, okay, when this happens, this is what we... Um, that it doesn't take any new appropriations. So it doesn't take any new House action. It wouldn't even take any new Senate action. They're not here this week either. So I well, I, I guarantee time, you, most of this though is like, is United even willing to fly there right now? Are they willing to play ball? Like these are all other sorts nations, of questions. Other, na- other nations, there would be other contracts. There would be contracts on the books requiring them to do that. That this is the way of. Properly functioning government. Well, we we will see what happens with these contracts. All right. But Speaking of properly functioning, functioning government, uh, on the other side of the break, we'll take you live to the halls of the Capitol. What is going on there? On there. When the hill returns. All right, welcome back to The Hill. After meeting behind closed doors earlier today, the majority of House Republicans said they believe Steve Scalise should be the next Speaker of the House. Republicans, however, decided not to hold an actual Speaker vote on the House floor today. (laughs) Why, you might ask? Because Scalise doesn't have enough votes to become the next Speaker of the House. Michael Schnell, congressional reporter for our partners over at The Hill, joins us live once again. It's complicated, kind of. At the end of the day, he doesn't have enough votes. Uh, What are you hearing uh, behind the scenes there, Michael? Yeah, look, Blake, Scalise had a victory earlier today, clinching the GOP nomination to be speaker. But that was just the first hurdle in this process. That looks like it's going to be quite an elongated process this time around. After Scalise secured the nomination in that internal conference vote, beating House uh, Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, he now has to bring that nomination to the floor and go up against House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, who Democrats elected uh, as their nominee last night. And look, this is now all a numbers game, because in order to be elected, Speaker of the House. Of course, you need to have a majority of the chamber. Right now, Scalise does not have that. We saw in that internal vote, there were 99 Republicans who voted for Jim Jordan, some of whom have said that they will now support Scalise. But by my count, there are at least six House Republicans who say that they will not support Scalise. Five of them are planning on supporting Jordan when the nomination comes to the floor. One of them, Congressman Jimenez, he is sticking by uh, former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, even though he, of course, wasn't nominated in said he doesn't plan to run. So as I mentioned, this is all turning into a math game, and it was always going to be a tall bar to clear for whatever candidate was on the House floor because of that slim majority. But now Steve Scalise is going to have to have a lot of conversations behind the scenes, try to flip some votes, because a lot of folks are waiting to see when a Speaker of the House can be elected and when the building can start legislative business again. All right, Michael Schnell, live for us outside the halls of the Capitol. Michael, thank you. See you tomorrow. All right, so while the House works to find enough votes to elect a new speaker, the Associated Press out with a new poll looking at how Republicans view the removal of Kevin McCarthy from office. Mick's already laughing. In that poll, (laughs) why are you laughing? No opinion. I love it. 25% of respondents say they approve, while 30% say they disapprove. The numbers, 43% say uh, basically 
No opinion. Chris? It, it gets even more hilarious when okay. you look at what independents said in this poll. Uh, 64% of independents had no opinion. Okay. Uh, 18% disapproved. 16% were in favor. The tininess of this, and when I say the tininess of this, I don't just mean what the ambitions were, because the ambitions were very tiny. Uh, a small group of people who wanted to to punish Kevin McCarthy. And look, you can say Kevin McCarthy broke his word that he said he wasn't going to do that. Wasn't going to do that. You know, politics ain't beanbag. Life's tough. Uh, if you're surprised that the guy who is a politician said, well, I wasn't able to deliver on all my promises, uh, you know, get in line. <laughs> but the idea that 25 percent of Republicans nationally supported this tells you what a fringe group. Now, we know it's a fringe group just by the math in the in the body of the House of Representatives. Eight out of 435 could kick this all off and get it going. Last thing I'll say is Steve Scalise didn't have one win today. He had two wins today because the first win he got was the they tabled a motion that was going to say that you had to get the votes in conference before you could go out to the floor. Steve Scalise won that one because he said, look, if we get a majority in here, that should be enough. We should go. Now the pressure's on. Uh, Michael talked about the six and got to get it down to five, right, four. four. They got to get it down to four. So two, Steve Scalise has been whipping votes for a long time. Now he's got time to work on two more and say, I've been thinking that you would look awful good as the chairperson of blank, or we've been thinking, you know, that appropriation you wanted. I've been thinking a lot about that. Steve Scalise is a good Louisiana politician, uh, and I suspect he'll be able to win those two over. Uh, the truth is that 65% of people actually are just pretending to know what a speaker is. Um, <laughs> but look, correct. And, and that's healthy. This is correct. That's healthy. But look, I'm running out of ways that sound sort of smart to say that I don't know what these loopy people are going to do. Uh, it was always going to be an uphill <laughs> battle. Uh, and here we are. Look, I will say that what they did today, even though they didn't get to the, the vote, looked like a real process. It yes. looked grown up. It looked like it was coalescing in some way. I did get worried because as the Israel stuff is happening and I'm seeing the world change and I'm thinking it would be nice, even though we don't need the House and the Senate convened to do certain things, it would be nice to have this functioning House. And then I see Nancy Mace come in dressed up oh as Hester God. Prince. <laughs> I don't know, hold on. Was... She comes in dressed up as Hester Prince Graham and I'm yeah. like, girl, oh, what good. are we doing? Hester Prince no. Graham, that's 10 out of 10. So now... I'm slightly comforted, and I hope they can get, really we, get it together. Right, we got we to gotta move on real quick to, to Bob Good, because it'll be interesting oh. to hear what he has to say. Yeah. But before we do that, what did you write today, Mulvaney? Um, can we show the headline? Show us your thoughts. Here's Mulvaney's take. Uh, do we have it? Fix the House, adopt Britain's nonpartisan speaker. What do you mean? I was looking for a short-term fix because I don't think Steve can get the votes. And if okay. he can get the votes, I'm not sure how long he can stay in the office if, 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 because he's got to deal Great. with this yeah. funder in the middle of November. So we could be right back here again after the next bipartisan deal to keep the government open. But longer, looking at the culture of the town, I've been in that building. I've been in the minority of the majority. I'm a fiscal conservative. That's not where the center of my party is. And it's really frustrating when you're in the minority in that, part, in that building. There's no rules there. It's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a dictatorship of the speakership. And there's a way to fix it, and it's to have a rules-based system, which they completely lack right now. And if they wanted to fix it, this would be a great excuse to do it right now, because I'm not sure they can they can go back to where they, the way they were before. <laughs> he's, I mean, I, he's, he kind of wins me over a little bit, a little bit. 
Would you over a little bit, Joanna? Right? No, look, I, I know Republicans have a hard time with election results, but if we were doing this, majority rules, take it to the House, get your government functional. The only issue is you're going to have people against Scalise. I mean, in 2015, Politico said the scandal over Louisiana Rep. Steve Scalise's 2002 speech to a, a white supremacist group had so badly damaged his image that he faces serious questions over his political future. That was 2015, and now today we're talking about him becoming the next Speaker of the House. I like the idea of a bipartisan coalition. That could be interesting. All right. Well, let's bring in Congressman Bob Good. He is one of the eight Republicans who voted to oust Kevin McCarthy. He is a member of the House Freedom Caucus as well and been on the show several times. Congressman, uh, always appreciate you coming on here on the Hill. Uh, Scalise, Jordan, who are you supporting? Well, I voted for Jim Jordan. Uh, we need a transformational change in Congress. I think the fact that Jim Jordan got 99 votes uh, out of the 220 votes that were cast. It was basically a 110 to 110 split. 110 voted for Steve Scalise. 110 did not vote for Steve Scalise, so you did not have a majority. Uh, but we can't maintain the status quo. Washington is broken. Congress is failing the American people. There's nothing we're doing here that is working. And, and uh, Jim Jordan's speakership would represent that change the American people want. It's interesting that despite all of the very, very negative, consistent coverage of the vote to remove the speaker last week. The poll that you showed uh, indicated that only 30 percent of Republicans disapproved of that. Uh, independents and Democrats don't care who the Republican speaker is, but 30 percent of Republicans disapprove. I guarantee, so I guarantee you, if you tell them, would you rather have Speaker McCarthy or Jim Jordan as speaker, overwhelmingly Republicans would say Jim Jordan. If you ask them, would you rather have Steve Scalise or Jim Jordan as speaker, overwhelmingly Republicans would say Jim Jordan. The, the, the representatives here in Congress ought to do what the Republican base wants them to do, what the leading contender for the presidency wants them to do, and reflect uh, the will of the Republicans across the country, which, which which are overwhelmingly supportive of Jim Jordan as speaker, as you know. Congressman, just to, to drill down on this, are you a firm no when it comes to Steve Scalise? Well, I'm a firm no against the status quo. The Republican Party has not shown a willingness to fight, to use every weapon at our disposal to fight against the radical Biden agenda. Think about what we've done so far. We have passed messaging bills that have no opportunity to pass the, the Senate. And then on the spending fights, when we have leverage, when we have an opportunity to use the debt ceiling or to use the end of the fiscal year, we have totally surrendered and passed those bills once again with Republican majorities. We've passed those bills with predominant Democrat votes. That that is a betrayal of the American people who gave us the majority with $33 trillion in national debt, a $2 trillion deficit, and we were trying to cut $100 billion in spending. That was the McCarthy commitment, to cut $100 billion in spending uh, with a $2 trillion deficit this year, and we couldn't get the leadership to help us pass our 12 spending bills well before the fiscal deadline, as so, he promised to do. Uh, Steve uh, Scalise represents the status quo, and we've got to fight for more change than just going next in line. Okay, so that sounds like a, a, a no against the status quo, um, as you put it. Jim Jordan clearly doesn't have the numbers as it stands right now. So if Steve Scalise can't get there, if Jim Jordan can't get there, how long are you willing to go speakerless? 
Well, we'll see what happens. Uh, we tried to, as you noted in an earlier part of the program there, we tried to uh, pass an amendment that would say, hey, let's stay in conference, let's lock ourselves in behind closed doors, let's get to 217 votes, ideally 221 so it's unanimous, and let's, it's not just about who has the most support, as you know, it's also who has the least amount of hard no votes. If we had stayed in there until we got to 217, we would have been able to work on the, on the vote that just took place to find out, okay, who is a hard no that's not going to vote for Steve Scalise, what do those numbers look like? And then Jim Jordan, who are the numbers that are a hard no? I don't think Jim Jordan has much in the way of hard no's in the conference, but most people in the conference, as, as you know, courage is a short, short supply in Washington. They do what leadership uh, sort of uh, uh, tells them to do. And I'll tell you something that happened in conference yesterday. One of the uh, members of Congress asked point blank in the candidate forum, both candidates, they said, what have you promised to anyone? What are the secret backroom deals? What have you promised anyone in order to become speaker in exchange for their vote? Jim Jordan very clearly, very explicitly said, I haven't promised anyone anything except to work hard for the conference. Steve Scalise did not answer that question. Interesting. All right, Congressman, I have to leave it there. I uh, hope you come on back. It, it sounds like this could uh, go on for quite some time, uh, potentially. But appreciate your time as always, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Great to be with you. Yep, of course. All right, coming up here on the Hill, they're rich, they're famous, but they have two totally different sets of issues. What the European Union wants from Elon Musk and what we are now learning about Sam Bankman-Fried's presidential, presidential ambitions. Did you hear the percentage that he ascribed to him being the next president? We'll talk about it when we return. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Welcome back to the Hill. As fighting between Israel and Hamas rages, social media has been buzzing about what uh, many different posts, of course, about the war. And now it appears regulators in the European Union have their eye on the world's richest man. On Tuesday, Elon Musk was issued a warning over disinformation about the Hamas attack on the social media platform X, of course, that he owns. If the content is not moderated, it could lead to a fine of 6% of X's revenue under new EU laws. Mary Catherine, uh, how big of a big of a deal is this as we think about the war going forward and what's going on on that platform? Look, I want, I want to be responsible about what information I'm putting out, and I think that social media companies need to do that as well to some extent. Here's the, this makes me thankful for the First Amendment because the thing is uh, the EU doesn't have it, um, and the government actually doesn't know what's true, and in fact they're often involved in obscuring the truth, and I think we've seen that over and over again, particularly during the COVID uh, years, that things that were conspiracies later became truth, uh, and I don't want them in this stuff because it doesn't allow us to have a full conversation. 
I'm scared correct. to death. <laughs> I, I'm scared to death about the stuff we saw. We, we saw this morning, for example, I was getting all sorts of, of notes from people about the uh, invasion of the north part of Israel. Mm-hmm. That turned out to be false. Um, and then we saw videos over the weekend that turned out not to have anything to do with this particular invasion, uh, supposed attacks on Gaza that are several years old. I'm right. scared to death about uh, having an opinion, number one, which is what we do here. But think about the people who actually have to make decisions. Yeah. about what are we going to do? Do they know their information is correct? One of the greatest things about working in the White House is you were pretty satisfied that you were getting really good information. Hmm. I'm not sure that's the case anymore. Well, and this is, it points to a bigger issue, right, is that Elon Musk is in control of this. Now, I do think there are some ways we could hold some of these social media companies accountable, Section 230 reform, some of these things that would be important to actually take on. Right now, without a functional Congress, they're not taking on any of it. Uh, <laughs> all, right. all right. Neither is the Senate. I <laughs> Chuck Schumer, who's on vacation this week. He, he, was, he was in he's he's Asia. Senate, Senate's not in session <laughs> as, as we session. talk about the House. Um, you mentioned the White House. You know who wanted to be in the White House? SBF, Sam Bankman-Fried. The, <laughs> oh, the trial's Lord. ongoing. It's a very serious trial. I mean, the guy did a lot of really bad things. Uh, And coming out of it is really his presidential ambitions. Uh, Quote, what did the defendant tell you about his ambitions, his former girlfriend, that he would be president of what? The United States. And it turns out that SBF thought he had a 5% chance of being the next president. Have you seen who's been president of the United States? It's a real real mess out there. Uh, Just because anybody can be president doesn't mean anybody should be president. Exactly. You must be this tall to ride this ride. We have have moved some of those signs aside in American public life of late. Um, But, you know, Sam Bankman-Fried was so good at conning politicians and both parties, and they were kissing up to him constantly. Uh, every, uh, don't read your own clippings. I guess he was reading his own clippings. He's a silly person. I have a bigger <laughs> issue with this, though, and that crypto world is very dangerous. And in fact, we are now seeing Wall Street Journal is reporting that Hamas has gotten a lot of money from crypto, $93 million between August 2021 and June of this year. And that we're not regulating it at all. And this person I, I, I agree with the regulation. Mess. I started the Blockchain Caucus in Congress. You're absolutely right about what you said, but keep in mind it's actually better than cash, which yeah. is what these folks were using before. That's the art. That's the flip side. Traceable. It's, it's synonymous. With I know blockchain, is, but, but this started as a you know they were using currency to trade on who was going to be the next world leader killed. Hamas has raised money with crypto. It is not all good, and we should not believe that these people are change makers in the good sense. It's better than cash, which is what they were dealing with beforehand. All right, looking ahead to the next hour, Elizabeth Vargas reports is about eight minutes away, and she joins us now. Elizabeth, uh, of course, the war in Israel front and center. Who are you talking to tonight? Well, we're talking to Congressman Seth Mullen, uh, not only about the difficulties of a ground invasion, should Israel choose to go that route, but the difficulties of extracting hostages. Uh, but he's mostly weighing in on this huge debate we've seen on college campuses across the country. Uh, with many of these student groups coming out and actually blaming Israel for the attack that it suffered at the hands of Hamas. Uh, so we're going to weigh into that. He is a graduate of Harvard as well as a former Marine and has some strong mm-hmm. feelings about his alma mater and the student groups who belong there. Uh, we're also going to delve into the hunt for the leaders of Hamas, focusing especially on one man known as the guest. He is the man who is uh, rumored to have or, uh, mass- being the mastermind behind this attack, which is incredibly complex and sophisticated. 
isolated. He's rarely seen. He moves from house to house every few days, doesn't use any modern technology. He's almost impossible to trace. And he's number one on the hit list for the IDF tonight as they look to uh, to slaughter all the leaders of the uh, Hamas uh, who, who masterminded this, uh, this terrorist attack. He'll be difficult to find, though. He's been uh, yeah. there have been seven assassination attempts on him already from Israel, and none of them have succeeded thus far. All right, Elizabeth, we'll catch you in about seven minutes time. Thanks. See you then. All right, and remember, you can watch Elizabeth Vargas reports six o'clock Eastern right after the hill right here on News Nation. But before we go, conspiracy, fraud and theft, the charges now piling up for George Santos. His uh, fellow members in New York want him out of office. So what will happen next when the hill returns? All right, welcome back with so much going on. Here's a story you might have missed. Six freshman Republican members of Congress, all from the state of New York, want one of their own, George Santos, out of office. For example, Congressman Anthony D'Esposito tweeted, quote, Today I'll be introducing an expulsion resolution to rid the people's house of fraudster George Santos. D'Esposito says uh, five of his colleagues will co-sponsor it. Santos, as you know, now faces, Chris, 23 federal charges. Soak it up now, America. Get your last taste of the George Santos goofball mm. show uh, because whether he is repl- the, the big question with George Santos, could he serve to the end of his term? I guess it's conceivable. Uh, but the real question is, will he be replaced by a Republican or a Democrat? Yeah, look, I'm astonished that he was elected at all, and nobody figured this out before. Yes, hand, um, but he, but he was elected. Local and news then, matters. And then also, weirdly, I look at him and I go, "Well, his statements are better than Rashida Tlaib's this week, so uh, <laughs> he's got that going for him." I just had a crazy idea. I don't think Sam Bankman-Fried can get elected president, but he might be. True, and this is the problem, right? Is that th- they actually need his vote right now in the House. <laughs> so the Republicans have made a deal with the devil instead of doing the bipartisan plan that Hakeem Jeffries 